Okay, we're both side. Um, so, Rosh Chodesh Tov, um, as has become the Minigan Yeshiva for the last couple of years, um, we have invited people who can serve as additional role models, besides your Rebbeim, who are role models in many areas, but most of you will probably be in the what's termed, quote, real world, unquote, even though it's today becoming a real fantasy world. Um, and we'd like to have uh, alumni or friends of the yeshiva who transitioned from learning, took the learning with them, and showed how you can actualize it and live it. We mentioned the Shmuz walk your talk um, as a ben Torah, as a Jew who prioritizes the Torah and the avodas Hashem, win in the real world, learns seriously and. Dr. Penn, I was waiting. I actually had to find out. This was a last-minute arrangement because I was waiting for Dr. Penn to come back from Chutzlaritz. And I knew that the clock was ticking because it was Rosh Chodesh. And I was wondering if I'm going to get him for Rosh Chodesh this year. Um, So we did. Um, Again, Dr. Penn was a Talmud um, from the earliest years of the yeshiva. Back uh, literally in the early years of the yeshiva. uh, Graduate from Brown University at the age of 19 when Brown University was still an intellectual place. Um, and um, he spent time in the yeshiva, he got married, came back with his wife for the married couples program afterwards, and really been one of our closest alumni. Uh, the secret is I've learned Chavrusu with him for many, many years from Chutzlaritz until he made Aliyah, then I know he doesn't have time to learn with me anymore because there's so many other learning opportunities here, but when he was in L.A., I was the learning opportunity. Uh, anyway, so he's a very successful businessman. He was a cardiologist, a major one. I call him one of the Gedolim in cardiology. You have to understand what that means. How do you be a guttel in cardiology? Is that you keep them you keep them from having the need for heart operations. That means you're a good cardiologist. Uh, anyway, so we're very happy that uh, Dr. Penn is here to share some of his background and inspiration with us. Thank you, Rabshaya. Hello, everybody. It's uh, nice to be here. I hope everyone's having a good Rosh Kodesh. Um, I guess Rashaya gave the highlights of my bio. I, I didn't really, really graduate at 19, but I, I sort of dropped out. So if that, I mean, you know, finishing by any other name is, is, still, is still good. So I, I'll start the story from there. I, I had grown up, um, you know, from Ish, went to day school, went to Shiba High School, and um, I went to Brown University for college, and by the middle of my junior year, I really just couldn't tolerate it anymore. Um, I couldn't tolerate living there. And if, uh, if I may have been yoving. And that was back in 1980, so it was a long, long time ago. So I came to, I came to Israel, and I, I ended up here at Chappelle's, and I learned for a year here in 1981. And then um, I uh, didn't really want to go back to college, so I just went to medical school, and that worked out very well. Medical school was everything that college was not. It was meaningful, it was purposeful, it was challenging, and it had, some, it had actual value. So um, I don't know if that sentiment is popular here or not, but so that's the way I, I saw things. So um, then I, I uh, went through the medical process, a residency, and fellowship. I, I became a cardiologist. I got married. I came back to Yeshiva in '92 for a year of married uh, married learning, and that was a really important year for sure for the learning, but also because it really living in Yerushalayim, especially for my wife, who had grown up sort of modern Orthodox in the five towns and had a certain notion of what Orthodox Judaism looked like. It was very, very, very eye-opening. So by the time we went back to L.A. after our year here, we were very different people than we were, and, and also we were very different people than the general sivuv in 
where we lived in Los Angeles. I lived in a very, very nice neighborhood in a, in a modern Orthodox, you know, young Israel-type neighborhood in, in Pico Robertson in Los Angeles, if for any of you know that neighborhood. So uh, I, I want to talk about a couple of things. The, um, the, the yeshiva is known, this yeshiva is known for being balanced and somewhat broad-minded. It's important to understand that when people say the yeshiva is balanced and the yeshiva is saying, you know, broad-minded, it doesn't mean that you have balance. Well, I learn a little bit in the morning, but in the afternoon I run around and do what I need to do, and at night I'm getting together with my friends. That's not, that's not the balance we're talking about. The balance we're talking about is we don't necessarily learn Gemara all 14 hours of the day. Maybe we'll learn a little Musr, maybe we'll learn a little Hadracha, maybe we'll learn some Chomish and Parsha. Depends on, you know, the guy and where, where his Natiyas are. We even, you know, we even, he, he can learn you know, Litvish Musr, he can learn more Hasidish Musr. You know, there's a lot of, there's breadth and there's balance in the Limana Torah. Um, it's, I think the, the, the reason that I was in some way successful as a Torah Jew after I got out of the yeshiva has mostly to do with the effort you put in while you're in the yeshiva. And I, I think being in a yeshiva is what is popular in other areas of endeavor called a force multiplier. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Force multiplier really comes from the military. It's when you use combined arms. You know, you have the, you have, uh, the airplanes dropping bombs, and you have tanks, and you have infantry, and you have artillery, and you have a cyber war, and all going on at the same time. Using all these things individually all at the same time in one focused way multiplies the force exponentially, not just additively. So it's also very popular in technical teams. If you have a technical team, and you have three or four hard coders, and you have a UX person, and you have you know, a marketing person, and you have a team of people with different skills, then that's also a force multiplier, and you can produce product, and you can achieve a goal in a startup company much faster if you have the right mix of people. So yeshiva is automatically a force multiplier. You have, first of all, you have a live-in environment. So you can literally be in the yeshiva 24 hours a day. You have a base medrash with a really good sifriya. Most importantly, you have, the two most important things, you have a chevra, you have guys you're learning with that you can relate to, that you can grow in your learning together with them, and you have rebeim. And I say the, the most important for last. The rebeim, Shai likes to say the rebeim aren't role models. I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with that sentiment, quite honestly. I don't think you necessarily want, have to want to be a Rosh Hashiva to, to get Hadracha from a Rosh Hashiva. But at the same time, what they certainly are is an enormous repository of limited Torah, of living a life of Torah and mitzvahs, of dealing with complex problems of various kinds and I- using their Torah learning to, be, to have integrative approaches for that. And it doesn't mean you have to sit and schmooze with your, with your Rebbe or your Rosh Hashiva for two hours a day. It just means that they're there all the time as a resource. Maybe the question is, is you know, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't get a mahalak in the Taisus. Okay, fine. There's nothing better to talk to Rebbe about. Maybe the mahalak is something else. Maybe it's something more personal. Maybe it's some philosophical problem you're having. A guy came up to me in this yeshiva, when I, I think I gave one of these talks, I don't know, five years ago, and he says, like, how is it possible that you permitted yourself to go to medical school? And, and all that bitl Torah. He says, why did you just like, be a cab driver and you work, you know, six hours a day and stay alive and then you just have yeshiva full time? It's like, who, who told you it was mutter? That's what it really came at me. Who told you it was mutter to go to medical school and become a doctor? So, I was not offended by that, by the way. I was actually felt very challenged by that. And I really had to think about it for a very long time. And the answer is not perhaps as simple as you might think. Um, thank God, I think I did some good things in medicine. I don't regret going into medicine by any stretch. Although I now, 12 years late, you know, 12 years now, I've been out of it. Uh, out of, you know, patient-to-patient medicine, and I do um, healthcare startups and healthcare technology companies, uh, both on management side and some investing side and different things. So I have a, a different kind of life now, but that life was about flexibility. But what I want to talk about is when we left the yeshiva and we came back to Los Angeles, I'm talking about as a married couple, 
my wife and I had seen the way people in Yushalayim live, and so we said, of course we invite. You know, like, Aisha Torah had a group of kids, you know, half of whom were, you know, probably Jewish, you know, half of whom were, didn't know anything, half of whom were a couple of people that were Shomer Shabbos, and we said, yeah, we need somewhere to put them all on flight. Yeah, come, just bring them over. So we'd have, you know, 15 guys at the table, men or women or both, or all different kind of things. Our house was open from the very, very beginning for all kinds of people. And not on Shabbos, but if somebody needed a place to give a shear, uh, we had a gemach in our basement for 20 years because they didn't have any, we, they needed a gemach for uh, medical mobility equipment like uh, walkers and crutches and a few other things like that. And so we had, an, we had a big garage. So we said, okay, you know, the gemach will be in our garage. But th- that kind of attitude that where things are open comes from living your shalayim. It comes from, it comes from, that's the force multiplier. It doesn't, I mean, maybe, maybe for some people, it comes from really like, you know, learning up the sugyas in Babakama. Maybe it's true. But for most normal human beings, what really makes the impact is letting, is opening yourself to the influence and letting your life be influenced by the Torah atmosphere that's around you. It's in the yeshiva, it's up in the dorms, it's for sure in the base measures, and it's everywhere on the street. I happen to live in Nachlaot, so I'm right in the middle of Yerushalayim, and there's always, I'm uh, right next to Shari Chesed, I'm right next to the Shuk. I, I, I get as much good musr from the Shuk as I do from Shari Chesed, interestingly enough. But, uh, you know, that's another, it's a whole other schmooze. Um, but when you live in Yerushalayim and you see how people live, I'll give you a very, very simple example. Most people have circles of closeness, okay? You feel, let's say, growing up, you feel very, very close to your parents and your siblings, and you would do anything for them. But whatever they need, you would just do it automatically, and, and certainly as you get older, you feel that way about your children. Allah has come with a comment. Your children need something. But then you have an outer circle, you have good friends. And you would do almost anything for them, unless the quest was kind of unreasonable, then you may have to have a little boundary. And then there's just sort of everybody in your, in your city. And they would say, well, you know, if I can help him, I will. Certainly everybody in, my, in the Jewish community, let's say, in my neighborhood. Certainly if somebody needs help, I try to do chesed, I try to be a right guy, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not that invested. And then there's like all of Klai Israel, which of course, you know, and there's all of Klai Israel, you try to do what you can, but it's not like life or death. You wouldn't let uh, the whole world move into your living room and camp out on your couch, right? So Gedoli Torah, real Gedoli Torah, they don't have those gradations. They feel the same way you feel about your own children and your own, you know, parents and your siblings and your immediate family and that certain kind of arrivals and that certain kind of closeness. A Gobi Israel feels that way about Kla Israel. A stranger can come up to him and I need help, I need trouble, and he'll sit with them for who knows how long and take care of what he needs to take care of. Rav, um, Rukhain Volozhin writes this in one, in one, in the Akdama of one of his farms. Um, I see, I see that Rabbi Schoonmaker shaking his head. He says, you know, I used to write a lot of farm, and I used to, like, you know, learn a lot of Tifkite, and now I run around helping widows and orphans. He goes, I think this life is probably better than that other life. That's what he writes over there in Akdama. So, you learn the Hadracha. So, anyway, that, that, that's enough generalization. I want to make one or two little very focused comments, and then I'm, I'm happy to take questions. The, the main thing you should be doing in the yeshiva, is limit a Torah. Because everything else, all those other good things that happen from living in the dorm and living in the yeshiva and living in the base matters, having relations with the Rebbeim and living in Yerushalayim, those will all come in, but you will be more open. It's not like you have to say, oh, I have to run around and go have experiences in Yerushalayim and that I have to take away time out of the base medrash because if I don't, I'm going to miss out on these positive life experiences. It's, it's not true. It's the opposite. The more you spend time, the more you do your force multiplier and you focus on your limit a Torah in the yeshiva, the more those experiences happen to you. And the more open you are to them once they do happen to them, and the more you can organize them and integrate them and make them part of yourselves, is your limit is where it needs to be. Similarly, when you go out in the community, you know, my wife and I, we did, we did all these things. We, had, we really had a bite patuach. Thank God. I mean, every Friday night, you know, was, was a, many, many Friday nights were a carnival in our house. And it was all okay. It was really all okay. And um, thank God we had many, many people stay with us 
you know, a lot of times there were scholars in residence or people staying from out of town. But whenever somebody had somebody like that, they would call us up and say, oh, you know, we're so-and-so from somewhere is coming. Can you, can you host him for a shot? Can you host me? He's staying for two days. Can you host him? But the reason they were calling me is not because I had the biggest house on the block or any because I, you know, I, it's because we tried hard to live a life of Torah. And we didn't, we didn't walk around and say, hello, everybody, you know, I'm the from guy, you know, give me shlishi. That's not how it went. But, um... But the way it went was, the things we were looking for, my wife really deserves like 99% of the credit because she turned into a huge, kind of again, very different from her upbringing. She turned into a huge said a huge doer, always out there doing things in the community. And me, I was just finding chavrusas. That was my thing. I was trying to find a chavrusa for somebody. And so I was off in the corner learning, but when somebody needs something done, they go to the guy who's off in the corner learning and they ask him to do something. So don't worry when you go in the community, how am I going to be involved in the community? You don't have to worry about that. If your head is on straight about your priorities and your avodas Hashem and your learning is still primary in your life, everybody you don't have to tell anybody. Everybody will figure it out. And and and, and there's another little trick to this, and which is I believe in Ashkodas Barhu. I hope you all do. I believe in God, right? I believe that God really does run the world. I believe in Ashkachapratyas. And I believe that God will send you what he needs to send you. If you're doing what you're supposed to do, you don't have to worry about, am I doing all those other things out there? You do what you're supposed to do, and God will take care of you and give you the opportunities and give you the, the if you're open to them. Right? You know, God can knock on the door and you don't answer the door. That's not His fault. Right? But if you do what you're supposed to do, and you dedicate your life to try to be a Ben Torah, then God will give you every opportunity to be involved in the community, to do chesed, to meet prominent people. Baruch Hashem, you know, we've met, you know, an enormous number of Russian people in a little corner of Los Angeles. It's not like, not when I was living in Yerushalayim. You know, the little corner, the whole world came to our door. And that's, that's the Kodesh Baruch who arranged that. Uh, and I got to, you know, take care of them or host them or this or that or, you know, sometimes they were famous and most of the time they weren't and, if anything, it's a little easier when they're not famous, you know. So, um, uh, so that, so that's really how it goes. So, in summary, and I think I've, I'm, I'm getting close to my 15 minutes, and I, I don't know if people have questions or not. What? All right. I think one more minute. Um, all right. So, uh, fair enough. So, I, I'll tell you very candidly, that was really an evolution. Cardiology, as you might guess, is a very demanding profession, right? Um, you know, you're, you're in the office, banging away all day. You have emergencies in the morning. You have emergencies during the day. You have emergencies at night. You're on call. Um, also, when I was only there for, by the third year, my wife had gave birth to triplets, and we already had a two-year-old, so the house was very labidic. And so, you know, things were pretty pretty tight. But... um Yeah, it was a carnival all week. Yeah, thank God. So things were very, very busy. So... Um, for a while, like when I was a resident, I really only had a chavrusa twice a week. So for twice a week, I could, you know, peel away some time and I'd learn for an hour and a half with a chavrusa. My, my shtick was chavrusa. I didn't like to go to shir. I'll tell you why. Shir is too passive, okay? It's too easy. Um, guys go, you know, they're, they're in yeshiva, they're not, or whatever they did, you know, sometimes they went post-high school, you know, to some yeshiva for a year, and then they went to college, and they got a job, and they went on summers, and they go, oh, I'm a good guy, go to shear. You know, the rabbi gives a shear on Tuesdays. The, the passive learning doesn't work when you're busy, it doesn't work when you're tired, it doesn't work when you're distracted, right? You know, a guy who listens to Dafyomi tapes, none of these things are bad, I'm not saying they're bad, but if you want to have some kind of Kenyan in learning, you got to learn because That's the only way it works, for me. Maybe you guys are built differently. I don't think so. All the guys I know, all the guys I know who accomplished something in their midlife, you know, in their later life, not in yeshiva, all had chavrusas. 
All the guys who went to Dafyomi Shir, yeah, I heard a lot of Dafyomi. You can tell me, oh yeah, I heard a, I heard a story about uh, Rav and Abaye. You know, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, they're, they're, they're listening to fairy tales. So if you're not breaking your head and working hard and sweating a little bit, it's very hard to grow in Torah. I mean, that's just a, that's just a given. That's just, that's the law of physics. You can't you can't change that. And the only way to work hard, you can't work hard if you're sitting passively listening to somebody give a shear. So you can give a shear if you're learning all week in Chavrusa, and then once in a week, once a week you have a Chavura on what you're learning. Okay, that's great. But if you just go into the rabbi's, you know, the rabbi gives a shear on Tuesday nights, and I go, and he talks about, you know, whatever. He talks about it's all nice, but it's not for guys like you. For guys that you, like you who've really tasted what real learning looks like, what real learning smells like, and who have lived with people who are real lamdonim and real and real tamidich chachamim, you won't feel right. So even when I was working, even when I was, my house was crazy and I was a very busy cardiologist and I was on call all kinds of time, um, I, I still I still learn twice a week bechavrusa, and then. Uh, after about seven years of that, I, was, I, was, I joined the big dominant group at Cedar Sinai. So we were like, you know, the big cardiology group in Cedar Sinai. We had a lot of we had a lot of muscle, and but we were really busy as all get out. So what happened was, I just I, I reached a point where I just couldn't be on call on Shabbos or Yontif anymore in my life. I was on call on Shabbos and Yontif, and I did what I could, and I did shinu and everything. Like, you know, you learn up the halachas, and you try to do everything you can do, and you don't go to the hospital if it's an emergency. You have this one, do that. but it, it drives you crazy. I mean, uh, none of you will have this particular nisayon because I don't think too many are going to become cardiologists. But it was also kind of the process, like all the time. So it made certain things holistically more straightforward. But at the same time, I just couldn't tolerate it anymore. So I quit the group and I, and I went solo. And I will tell you, I will tell you, everybody says, oh, you know, wait, you're going solo in LA, in, you know, in the 90s, like you're going to starve to death. No one's going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to hang a shingle. What? You're going to advertise? Are you going to have a billboard on, on, on Pico Boulevard? Like, what are you going to do? How, what patients are going to come to you? So I said, I don't know, and I don't care. So I did two things. I, I quit the, the big practice in a nice way. You know, I gave him a, I gave him a, well, you know, it wasn't, we, we didn't part on that terms. And um, I, I opened a solo practice inside of a, of a medical group. And, and then the very same day that I went solo, I hired somebody to do all my call every single weekend and every single yantra for the rest of the year. So not only did my income drop to zero, but then my expenses went up because I was hiring somebody to do the work, right? And I will tell you, honestly, and I take no credit for this, it wasn't because of me, it was because God understood that I was genuinely motivated for a specific purpose, and in one month, my office was full, and in two months, it was a two-week wait to get it to, to, for a new console. In two months, it's, it was crazy, for no reason at all. Um, and, and it stayed like that until I retired from medicine. So, I never had, and I ended up having much more free time, and that's when I started learning every day. Okay, so I started making a seder every day because now my time was my own. I was the boss, and I have to leave, and I have to make my kavrusa. And also, don't try not to have your kavrusas. Whether you have them in the morning or, or the evening, it's up to you. I couldn't do them in the morning just because of the way my schedule had to go around in the hospital early. Other people are different. You have to do it worse for you. People say it's better to learn in the morning. That might be true, but I never had that opportunity in my whole life. I always had to learn at night. That's the way things worked out. But all the, what, any, the only thing that people really knew about me is like, oh yeah, Josh Payne is a cardiologist. Okay, that's nice. Oh yeah, he's that learner guy. That's all. That's like that's the only way they knew. They didn't say he was a smart guy. They didn't say he's the big bal chesed. They didn't say he's the big veer. They didn't say he was, say he was the big bal stucca. I didn't have any buildings named after me. Right? I didn't have any bronze plaques or any of the buildings around LA. Okay, he's that learner guy. And I see him. He's learning with the Vietz, He's learning with uh, the Okay, fine. And then whatever opportunities you want in your life, be they personal, professional, I promise you, if you do what you're supposed to do. God will give you what you're supposed to have. And I really believe that, and that's been my personal experience throughout the last many, many years. I'm done. Uh, we've got a great opportunity to ask questions. Go ahead, go ahead.
when you were doing the one and a half hours twice a week <coughs> learning firstly, sorry, did you feel satisfied with that? Or did you feel like it was enough at the time? And then secondly, did you feel like you benefited? An hour and a half twice a week enough to actually learn? Did you feel like you were doing So I'll tell you something interesting. Were you doing it just out of having a... I mean, I was working 80 hours a week. So that was really all there was, right? And I said, you know, I, I said to myself, this is what I can do. More than this, I'm, I feel like I'm going to die, all right? So when you get to that point, then, you know, that's, that's the point you're supposed to get to. But I, I will tell you, this is true. This is going back to, this, you're talking about, I'm going back 35 years. I still remember what I learned in those, in those two carousses because they were very intense. My life was very intense. I was young. I was much younger then. I was much smarter. My brains worked, you know, very quickly. And I remember we learned, we learned Bab Metziah. We learned a couple of different uh, Prokhimi Bab Metziah. And I remember a lot of that Limud. Because I had a good chavrusa, I was a good guy, also like a yeshivish guy who was, uh, you know, who was in the neighborhood in New York City. And so was it enough? No. Is it optimal? No. But it's pretty good. You know what I'm saying? I've been in other phases of my life where I learned every day, and I don't remember the learning as much as I, learn, as I remember with that guy. So you don't know, you don't, you have to understand one other thing. This is a little bit of a, uh, of a uh, elevated concept, okay? When you know something in Torah, it's because God gives you a gift, the chashik And the only thing that you have to do is you have to work hard enough to deserve the gift. So there's not a one-to-one relationship between how much time you... If, for example, in, uh, you know, when, I, when I learned math or physics, there's pretty much a one-to-one relation. How much time I put in, that's how much physics I know. And that's how it goes. Limit of Torah is not like that. All right? You can have some guys who come to this yeshiva barely, barely reading Hebrew, and in two years they're, they're going to the mirror and they know how to learn up the places, right? And you have other guys who come here with some skills and they, they're hanging out for a number of years. And but those guys who learn like an oilum in two years, I never understood how they did it, you know, because I was not blessed to have that particular kind of Hatwaka, but they really do it. We've seen it in Yeshiva. Rabbi I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up, right? My, I had a conversation with uh, Yisrael Choleva. He's one of those guys. He came with not, you know, not a huge amount of background. In two years, three years, he was like, anyway, God gives you that. You have to, again, at the core of it, we, we believe in two things in Sopals. Okay, we believe in, we believe in God, and we believe in the Torah. Okay? And we have other beliefs too, but those are the two core beliefs, right? <laughs> Alright? We believe in, we believe in God, and we believe in the Torah. And when you, and the Limit Torah, you have to understand, the actual acquisition, the actual Kenyan you get in the learning, that's a gift from God. Because it's, 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 it's inherently unknowable stuff that you're learning. How does it really fit in? What's the big picture? How's it all going? You know, if, where do you think ideas come from? What, a little spark of electricity? No, the ideas come from God. He puts, he puts the ideas in your head. So, how does it exactly work? Don't ask me the mechanics of it, okay? That's way beyond me. But that's how it does work. And I, and I think Rook Schoolmaker would back me up on this. Okay. So... You gotta learn what you, you gotta do what you can do. That's always the metric. You know, if you're if you're working a nine to five job, right, and you're playing golf on Sunday, and you got softball on Thursday, and you watch TV for a couple hours every night because you need to relax, and you like football on Sundays, and so you have some guys over. So then you can't wonder why you're not having hatzlacha in your learning. I don't care if you right. You're not allowed to ask why am I not having hatzlacha in my learning? What could be what could possibly be going wrong here? Right? But if you're only learning two times a week, but you know that the other 90 hours of the week you're running around crazy, like in the hospital, you know, doing all the stuff you have to do, then you can ask, okay, what am I going to learn? And, and God will really give you something in that learning. Was it, is it as good as learning every day? No. But it was really something. And I, I remember some of that learning from Ari Yamazet. The crazy schedule and also incorporating learning 
How did that translate to spending time with kids and having like a relationship with, with all your kids? Okay, so that's actually a really good question. Um, in fact, it's, it's, it's a really good question that's very hard to answer. I had a couple of advantages in the following way. I got to spend a lot of really high quality time with my wife the first two years we were married. The first year we were married, we still lived in New York, and I had a life schedule at, by then. By the time I got married, I was older. I was 29, 30, almost 30 when I got married. And then we spent this year in Eric Tisrael. All right? So, and my wife... I don't want to say too much here, but she's literally made of titanium. So when we got to the part of life where I was, you know, she had four little kids in the house, and I was, you know, working till 10 o'clock. I would literally come home at 10 o'clock, you know, do one diaper, one bottle, and fall asleep. So I really wasn't very much help at all. But she was able to tolerate that because she, knew, because she, was, she bought into the purpose. And so when I said, I got to go, I got to go learn, I, I'll give you another example. For... 15 years in a row, every single Shabbos, I went to Hashkam Minyan by myself, and I, uh, I was finished by, let's say, 9 o'clock, and then I had Seder from 9 to 12 every day, and then I got home in time for lunch. So I had a three-hour Seder every Shabbos, uninterrupted, which is great for me. But my wife had to take the kids to, my wife's a big shul-goer, so she had to get all four kids dressed, get all four kids to shul, take them to shul, like, make sure they're not running around, no and then bring them all home, and then prepare lunch, and then have everything ready for me when I walked in the door. I was like, okay, you know, I'm ready to make a finish. Right? That's true story. Yeah, so two things. One is they don't make so many women like that, so don't take this home as a, as a way you should be. But number two is, I put enough, you know, I made enough deposits in the karmic bank, you know, the karmic bank account in the early days where I could rely on that later on. So the answer is, um, and, and with my kids, I have to say, they, they didn't get a lot of attention from me in elementary school, but then I retired from seeing patients in 2012, and in their high school years, I spent a lot of time with them. They have a lot of very good memories of me. You know, when in the first five years, I wasn't that, you know, kids aren't that interesting to me. Like, in the first five years, in the first two years, okay, you know, you got to do the work. There's a lot of work, and there's not that much payout. Well, they said Google at me, and I feel so excited. So some people are like that. But when your kids start talking and interacting and have, like, things to say, they, to me, they get a lot more interesting. So fine. By the time they were in high school, it was great. Also, my, my, my wife is a tremendous early childhood, like, you know, maven. She, she was the best mother you could ask for little kids. When they hit, when they hit high school... She totally didn't understand what they were about. Now, understand, they said, but, you know, I asked Elisa something, she said no. My kids said, like, in her, where she grew up, in her family, the kids never said no to their parents once. Once in their whole life. They just did what well, the parents said, okay, so my dad said, I just do it. Well, it doesn't make any sense what he's telling you to do. No, I didn't think of it, like, I don't think it, it didn't occur to them to ask that question. Meanwhile, my kids were pens, so they were all independent and, you know, difficult. And so, um, he said, no, I'm not doing that. That doesn't make any sense. And my wife almost had a complete meltdown. You know? What do you mean? How does she know? I'm the mother, what? So I said, Ronnie, you know, okay, you, you worked hard for, you know, the first 12 years, you know, first 14 years. I, I, got, I got this. So, and th- thankfully, we, my kids and I got along really, really well in high school, and we sort of, there's a little bit of catch up there, honestly. But it, for, for us, it worked out okay. And now I'm, I'm thankfully very close to my children. And, um, and they're close to the mother, too. I don't want you to think that she somehow stopped out of their life. But, yeah, it's a, it, it works. There, there's only so many hours a day. There's only so many things you can do. But people say, I need to spend more time with my XYZ. Quality of time matters and amount of time matters. There's no, easy, there's no easy answer for that. By the way, that's your major task of adulthood. Okay? There's a few major tasks of adulthood. What am I doing on this earth? And I only have so many hours. And how am I going to spend them? But I, I honestly think 
that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you to struggle with that question. There's not supposed to be an easy answer to that. And by the way, my answer and your answer aren't supposed to be the same. All right, it works for me. I can tell you my own experience. I can't tell you, oh, you should do this, right? You know, you should go to Hashkava Minyan and learn for three hours and then come home for lunch at noon. I can't tell you to do that. That may be all wrong for you. It may be right, it may be all wrong. So I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just giving my own experience. But that's the task of adulthood. Like, you know, how much time should I be learning versus... My wife and I have this conversation all the time. She thinks, oh, you're just going to sit in yeshiva, you know, and learn about short of board? Like, how does that help anybody? And meanwhile, she's going out and she's picking grapefruits for this poor lady who lost all her workers, and the grapefruits are rotting on the tree, right? And there's missiles falling over here, so she's making packages over there. She's busy, you know, saving the world one, you know, one pair of tzitzes at a time. And me, what am I? Oh, you're, yeah, you're sitting in yeshiva. Nice air conditioning, right? You're, sitting, you're short of board, right? Okay. So, um, you know, it's a debate. You know, but we have a good enough relationship that she can laugh at me and I can say, you know, that's fine. You know. And she knows that the learning really does have value and she knows that when she gives me a hard time, it's all fun and it's not going to be a thing. But again, that's my relationship. I, you know, I can't say about your relationship. But um, nobody ever achieves greatness in anything in life without some degree of monomania. I don't care if that's in learning, I don't care if that's in business, or professional, or cardiology, or investing. Hmm? Monomania. It's, okay, monomania is when something bothers you so much, you can't sleep until you fix it. Alright? Something just gets under your skin, and you say, i got to take care of this thing, this thing is just bothering me. I don't understand why we can't have an echo machine that's not entirely in digital frames. Everything else in the world is digital. Why are we still on VCH tape in, in echo? And so I built the company, because that thing bothered me so much, I had to build a company that fixed that problem. And I was like, my wife, like, I, I go through periods where I, you know, I don't hardly sleep for a week at a time because the questions bother me. And I try this, I try that, and we're working on the math of it, and we're working on the physics of it, and we have to get a consultant, we have to interview this guy. And like, all of a sudden, it, you know, one, one thing that bothers you turns into a, a job with, you know, a to-do list of 50 things long. But you have monomania, and you can't let it go. It's like a dog with a bone. You can't let it go until you fix it. And, and the truth of the matter is, if you really want to achieve something more than you, you've got to feel that way, you know, about a conus. Understand what's the nikkah Like what's this name? So got hot in me. What makes him crazy? Why I have to anticipate the guy gets crazy? Like it has to bother you in your guts that you can't let it go. That's when you know you got limitatora. That's your, that's called being in the flow. I don't know if you heard that expression, right? Like elite athletes, time stands still. You don't hear anything. You're just focused on what. That's mon, like, it's monomania. It's also called being in the flow. That's why people pursue like extreme sports, high adrenaline output, massive focus, complete exclusion of all other things. You don't, you know, you, you don't get hungry, you don't get tired. My wife said, did you eat today? I'm like, mm, you know. <laughs> so. I have to tell you the truth. As you get older, that happens a little bit less often. <laughs> but you take advantage of it when you're young, and you get the, you, you get the payoffs later. Okay, yes, Thank you very much.